The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. Amen. Hallelujah. God be praised. That's what that means. Holy, holy, Lord Almighty, the great I am, the Jehovah. Listen, we can sing of the goodness of God that pursues me in all of my life, and we can declare with confidence the faithfulness of God in his promises because of the conviction and belief that we have that he is, in fact, the great I am. That's who we serve today. And I don't know what you brought with you this morning, what worries or burdens or what is distracting your mind, but may in the light of his glory, those things take a back seat and we focus in on him, the great I am. Amen? Amen. Amen. And as the great I am, he has the right and the privilege to speak into our lives. And he does that through the revelation of his word that we preach and teach faithfully and regularly. So if you would grab your copy of God's word, whether it is in book form or tablet form, grab it. Uh, Let's get there into Colossians chapter four. It is imperative uh, that you have a, uh, a look at the word of God with us. My message today isn't something that's, that's secret. There's no private secret interpretations. There's no revelation that he gives me that I just have to tell you something he revealed to me, something new. This is God's word. It's, it is ancient. It is living. It is alive. And my job is to be faithful to the word, not my word, to the word. And so with noses in the book and fingers there to make sure that we follow along, we want to see what God has for us. And so Colossians chapter four is where our attention uh, is given. As you find your place, let me ask a question. Does anyone else other than me get a little nervous when somebody unsolicited comes up to you and says, I've got some advice for you? Does that make you nervous? The first thing I think about is he must have saw me do something that wasn't good and he has advice for me. Um, the, the, the worst part is if somebody comes up and says, let me give you some relationship advice. Like if they say that, I'm like, man, I probably, they probably saw me. I didn't do something. I didn't open the door for my wife or something along those lines. And, and listen, your advice is welcome. Uh, but we know the proverb, right? Uh, advice and input unsolicited isn't always welcome. It makes us nervous. It makes me nervous when somebody says, I've got some advice from you. Now, some of the best advice I've ever received is unsolicited advice like that. However, it still makes me extremely nervous. So unsolicited by you, I've got some advice for you. (laughs) Uh, Not only that, I've got some relationship advice for you. Now in our text today, Paul is giving us some relationship advice. Now we're going to consider what he has to say, but before you get nervous and all excited or whatever extreme you're on, that I'm going to talk about dating. Some of you single people are like, yes, finally. Uh, He's going to give me some advice. That's not what I'm talking about. Or maybe your marriage. We already dealt with that. We already talked about that. It's not the relationship I believe Paul is talking about today. What what I believe we're going to see here in just a second, Paul is talking about and giving us advice on is our relationship as followers of Christ to the world around us, to the world in which we live. That's what we're dealing with. So this is why I've entitled this text in the sermon, Relationship Advice. Let's read it. Colossians chapter four, verse two through verse six. Here it is. 
Remembering as we read, this is the word of God. So we come to it with humility and attentiveness, hoping that he speaks to us through it. Verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray for us, uh, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, over the top of these few verses sits a big idea that we're going to unpack for the next couple of minutes this morning. Simple, I'd encourage you to write it down and keep notes that were handed out to you. It's this, those who have a relationship with Christ relate to the world differently. Those of us who've placed our faith in Christ, those of us who've come to saving faith and accepting Jesus as our savior and have, have, have repented and turned to him in dependence, we have a new relationship with Christ which means then that that relationship informs and changes our relationship to the world in which we live. Now, the concern of this text is focused on outsiders. You probably saw the word. It doesn't mean people that are sitting outside. That's the security team. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, We're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So throughout the scriptures, this group of people are often referred to as the world. That is, they are people who are still of the world. That is, people who are unsaved and have not trusted in Christ for their salvation. If you've not received Jesus as your Savior, let me just say that. If you've not received Jesus as Savior, you are an outsider. You are without God You are without Christ, you are without forgiveness, you are without hope, and you are without the promise of heaven. And I don't say that here lightly or to make you feel uncomfortable or to make it feel awkward in here. I just say that because that's true. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, according to the scripture, the authoritative voice in our services, he calls that an outsider. And I say that because I want to call you to come to Christ today. I want to invite you as the Bible does and as Jesus does by grace to come and put your trust in the cross where he died and his sacrifice for your sin and believe in the empty tomb where he rose again, defeating sin and death and in him find the forgiveness of your sins. That's what I'm saying. Come and be an insider. And that is an insider, not by knowing our handshake or getting our tattoo. We don't have those. But that is becoming an insider by meeting our Savior. His name is Jesus, and he can change your life. Now, we who are on the inside, that's the total wrong thing to say, insider language, right? But we who know Christ, we relate to the world outside of Christ differently because of our relationship with Christ. I relate to the world differently since becoming a Christian because I have a different relationship with the world. Now, I'm not going to turn there, but I want you to think about with me what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us and reminds us that before Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. That means we were under judgment. We were under condemnation. And it was in the world that we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, who is Satan, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. So he says, that's what you were. That's who you used to be. (laughs) That's how you used to live. That's where you walked before meeting Christ. But now that Christ's mercy has busted into your life and turned on some light bulbs and saved you and you've turned to him by faith. Listen, you have a new relationship with the world. You're no longer in that same boat. In John chapter 17, another reference that I'd encourage you to engage with, it's what we know as the high priestly prayer of our Savior. He was praying and he was, he was, he was asking and, and he was praying for us, the disciples he was leaving in the world. And, and he says, I know that they are in this world, but they are not of this world. Therefore, keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, in verse 16 he says. Listen, the reality is this. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, praise God for his grace that helped you and brought you to that place. And listen, you are no longer of the world even though you are in the world. Now, how do Christians relate to the world? According to Paul, how how does this relationship change? What's the new relationship? How do we interact with the world in which we live? There's lots of passages that talk about this, but according to our text, there's three world-relating characteristics that I think Paul pulls out to us and for us to see as followers of Christ in this world. So I want you to see those, three of these characteristics. So there's three of them. Here's how we're going to do it. I relate to the world around me by, number one, praying for them persistently. Notice verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer. So he starts this this direction of mind by just giving us an umbrella statement of pray. Make prayer a habit. That's what he's saying. Steadfast prayer is habitual prayer. It's prayer that is my habit. The first thing I do when I am praying steadfastly, when it's a habit of, of, of my life, is I wake up in the morning and I pray. And I am faced with the decision and I pray. And I'm dealing with this uh, person and I pray and I'm having a lull time and I pray. It's a habit of prayer. It's not walking around continually praying everywhere you go in every interaction in your life. It's just saying, whenever I need to, I'm there on my knees before the throne. It's a habit of mine. The idea of persistent prayer sprinkled all over the pages of the Bible. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Again, that doesn't mean don't stop praying. So if you walk around and you pray, we're going to think you're weird, just so you know, okay? That's just weird. We don't do that. But the idea is, without ceasing, is the the, the idea of like a nagging cough. Last couple of weeks, I've had a nagging cough, you remember. Wouldn't let me go. It never left. Every time I would talk, every time I'd do anything, I'd have a little tickle in my throat and I'd cough. It wasn't a habit. It was a nuisance. That's what it was. And that's the idea of it's always there. It's always present. I'm always turning back to it. And that is the idea of prayer. The idea of prayer. The manner of this prayer is to be watchful. Notice it in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. The word watchful means to be awake or to be on on the alert, to be vigilant. What Paul is saying is this, don't grow apathetic or indifferent toward prayer. Don't be lulled into sleep because you're not aware of the importance and value of being a praying people. Watchfulness is alert because you feel the weight and the seriousness of a situation that might be arising. 
the other day at 3 a.m. My dog was making some funny noises. He was doing this little growl bark thing. And sure enough, that makes me get up and wonder what's going on. And here I am at 3 a.m. in the morning, dead asleep. Hear my wife saying, because I don't hear things. My wife wakes me up. So baby's crying. I sleep right through it. People breaking in the house. I sleep right through it. So she said, the dog is doing something. Go check it out. So as a good husband, I jump out with sleepies all in my eyes and I go look out the window. And sure enough, there were three guys at 3 a.m. standing right in the front edge of my driveway. Now keep in, keep in mind, you guys are going to think where I live is crazy, but a couple of nights before, a house down the street, two doors down, just got broken into. So all of a sudden, listen, in the middle of the night, I'm awake, I am watching, and I'm about to go out and uh, deal with some situations out there. I might get dressed first and then head out and deal with some situations first. The seriousness of the situation brought me to the place where I was watching. I was awake. I wasn't indifferent to the situation we were facing as a family. Now, they scurried along when they saw me because they were scared, obviously, and uh, they moved on. But we weren't weren't, uh, underestimating the importance or the severity of the situation. And here's what Paul's saying. Don't underestimate the severity of the world in which you live. Don't underestimate the value and power of prayer. Don't grow indifferent toward it. Do not grow apathetic toward it. Don't be like Peter in the garden when Jesus went off to pray and he fell asleep and Jesus said, could you not even pray with me one hour? Then he made that statement while Peter was sleeping and Jesus was praying. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he says, prayer persistently by being awake and alert to the reality and importance of prayer with thanksgiving. Notice that. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So again, without taking too much time on that, multiple times throughout the book of Colossians, we are reminded to be thankful. Praying thankfully is literally to have thankfulness sprinkled in all of our prayers. This is the orientation of our heart in prayer toward gratitude. Pray with gratitude as you remember the work of the gospel in your life and do it persistently. And then Paul says that, I believe, to give the request in verse number three. At the same time, Now we've got the matter of prayer. The manner of prayer is persistence, watchfulness, thankfulness. And the matter that I want you to pray for is this, he says, pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul was longing for and praying for God to open a door of opportunity to preach the gospel to the lost world, to the world in which he was living in. Now, listen, Paul wrote this prayer request while he was in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. Let's just feel that for a second. I got to be honest. If I'm in prison, my first prayer is not for opportunities to do the same thing that put me in prison. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. I'm here because I preach Jesus. So pray that more doors of opportunity to preach Jesus are open to me so that I may continue my prison ministry, I guess. That was his attitude. Paul longed for an open door of opportunity with the gospel like he had experienced before. In fact, think about this. There's, there's, there's Paul, the apostle, and he had a partner named Silas. You remember the story in Acts chapter 16? Paul and Silas, same thing, preaching the gospel, sharing the message of Jesus Christ, were thrown into prison. And while in prison, Acts chapter 16 says they were singing songs and praising God while in prison. Now listen, this wasn't a lush prison with cable TV. This was a dungeon. This was a place of bondage, shackled to the walls with rats eating on their wounds. This was not a pleasant place. And here they were singing and worshiping God. And listen, as they were doing that, a door opened. The cell door opened. 
But the most significant door that opened to Paul and Silas that day wasn't the jail door. It was the door of opportunity to share the gospel with the Philippian jailer who placed his faith in Jesus Christ and became the first part of the Philippian church. And that is what Paul is saying. Is he's saying, I want those kinds of doors of opportunities open to me by the power of God. So pray that way. Amen. Pray that way. And, and then he says this. Look at what he says. This is great. My opinion, greatest apostle ever. The greatest evangelist ever, here's what he says in verse number uh, four, that I may make it clear. It is a pronoun referencing back to the mystery, which is the gospel, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He's saying, I've, 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 I need help. I need help by the power of God and dwelt by the spirit of God to help me speak clarity with the message of Jesus Christ. I don't wanna fumble over my words. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to obscure the truth of what Jesus does and did. I want to preach it and declare it clearly. So pray for me. Pray for me. I've been preaching somewhere in a pulpit or a church service somewhere almost every Sunday since the summer of 2007. It's crazy to me to think about. And I've learned a lot about preaching. <laughs> You're like, really? Shocker. The greatest thing I have learned is the more I preach the word, the more desperately I need the Spirit's help to make the gospel clear. I need it. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, pray. Pray that I have an opportunity to preach Jesus and pray that I preach it clear when that opportunity presents itself. So how, how do we relate to the world? How does this apply to us? Well, here it is. What he's saying is, persistently with watchfulness and thankfulness, pray that God would work in miraculous and gracious ways to use us to preach the gospel clearly so that the unsaved in the world will be saved. That's what he's saying. In essence, what Paul is saying is this, for us to make advancement of the gospel in the world of the unsaved a matter of prayer. Pray for the gospel to go and spread and work and change lives. Pray for the preachers to preach clearly. Pray for opportunities in closed countries to open wide. Pray for those who are seeking truth to find truth in Jesus Christ by empowering the messengers of the faith. Pray for those in the Europe area right now that are ministering and loving the unsaved people that are hurting and running from war to preach clearly the message of Jesus Christ. Pray for the Christians stuck in the concentration camps in North Korea for faith in Jesus Christ that they would preach boldly and clearly the message of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need it. Pray for people around the world in Las Vegas and everywhere else that the gospel would go unbound and people would get saved. That's why we're here. Pray persistently. That's how we relate. One man recognized that one of the major problems with prayer in the church is that we have made it a domestic intercom to call for refreshments from the butler rather than a wartime walkie-talkie to call in support for the troops. So listen, we who have been transformed by the power of, God, of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ know firsthand experience that this is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We have our life completely regenerated and revived and renewed, and the people in our world desperately need it. And so we see them not as people who are, who are weird or people who are outside just because they think differently. We don't criticize them. We don't ridicule them. We pray for them that the gospel will impact their lives like it impacted ours. Amen? We relate to them that way. So may we be a church who prays. Listen, I think next Sunday, right, March 20th, a night of prayer and worship. Let's be there. 
And let's be there not because we, not because we love worship, because we do, not just because it's a scheduled event, but because the most important thing, if not uh, one of the most important, if not the most important thing we do is we get on our face before God in total dependence for him to do something special and miraculous. So we gather to pray. Those who have a relationship with Christ relate to the world differently. First, we pray for them. We pray for them persistently. Second, now we're going to get where the rubber meets the road, literally. I relate to the world around me by walking among them wisely. Number five, look at it, verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now let's work through this, okay? The word walk refers to the believer's consistent conduct. It's their course of action or their manner of living. It's how you live. It's not how you walk, literally. It's how you live. It's how you conduct your lifestyle. And and I want you to turn one place with me because it's just a a page to the left. Colossians chapter one. Look at verse number nine of Colossians chapter one. This was Paul's heart in writing this letter. Paul, throughout this entire letter, was emphasizing the reality that the presence of Christ in our lives comes to bear in how we live. Look at verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul just writing to the church. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you may have wisdom so that you may, or so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul's prayer from the very beginning of this letter was that the wisdom that is Jesus Christ would come to bear in our lives and affect the way we walk, affect the way we live, affect the way our lifestyle unfolds. So what does it mean to walk in wisdom? Well, let me just think about this for a second. In the Old Testament, Wisdom comes from the word for skill. It's not knowledge. It's knowledge used rightly. It says a carpenter would have the skill to take rough material and craft a beautiful piece of furniture. Spiritual wisdom is the skill to build a godly life. Where do you get wisdom? I want to build a godly life. Where do I get it? Proverbs 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So listen, wisdom begins with fear of God, with a reverence for God, with an understanding that he is who he is, the great I am, that's where it starts, okay? Then Colossians chapter two, verse three tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. So I fear God, I turn to Christ, and that is where I begin to get wisdom for my life. And in Colossians chapter three, verse 16 we understand that the word of Christ dwelling in us richly is imperative to gain the wisdom that is in Christ. So wisdom comes from fearing the Lord, knowing Christ, and letting his word dwell richly in you. To walk with wisdom toward outsiders then means to base your daily life on the wisdom found in God's word and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to live a godly life. It's to live a biblical life. It's to live a Christ-dependent life. It is to say, what is the wisdom that comes from the word and the spirit in me that guides my life so that I might represent my savior well in the world around me? James 1.5 says to pray for this kind of wisdom. 
In fact, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So, so listen, here's what it is. Let's just let that weigh on us for a second. This means to walk as a Christian, especially in a relationship to the unsaved world. It is a godly walk and it is the foundation for effective witness to the world. Living with wisdom means knowing how to live in a way that is consistent with who we are in Christ. Living this way gives us a platform to tell the world that doesn't know Jesus about the good news of Jesus that changed our lives. It is living in such a way that they then look at us and say, huh, there's something different about that dude. He walks different. He thinks different. He reacts different. He responds different. There's something that guides his life that's different than what guides my life. And that provides an opportunity to you to give glory back to God and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You know how I know that? Because look at the next part. He says, verse number five of Colossians four, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Using the time, the opportunities. The word making the best use means to buy up. Means to buy up. Buy up the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. I think of, uh, when I think of this, I think of bargain shopping. Are there anybody, is there anybody in here? Let's be honest. Let's just do some, some raising of hands. Some of you already raised your hands. I know you're fanatics. You're like, that's me. That's me. How many in here love a good bargain? Let's raise a hand. Most of you. Okay. How many of you have bought something you absolutely didn't need and you probably never used just because it was a good deal? Let's see a hand. The same exact people pretty much raised their hand. I'm amazed by that. Like just because it's a good deal does not mean you have to have it, but not for you. It's a deal. It's a great deal. I didn't need this massive sewing machine, but man, I got it for five bucks. I mean, it's great. It doesn't work, but it's five bucks. Some of you have cars sitting in your driveways that never drive because you got it for a hundred bucks. Listen, just because it's an opportunity for a good deal doesn't mean you have to buy it, but that's the picture he's given us here. Take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves to you as a result of you living a life that is godly and Christ-honoring. Listen, when somebody sees the difference in your life, here's what's going to happen. They're going to say, what's different about you? What's different about this life you're living? Why do you not get worked up like I get worked up? Why do you not get overwhelmed like I get overwhelmed? Why aren't you so vocal on Facebook like I'm all vocal on Facebook? Why, why don't you do those things? Why are you kind? Why are you gracious? Why are you patient? Why do you go to church? Why do you do those things? Why do you live your life in such a way? I, I need to know. And that's an opportunity that presents itself that you seize in order to share the message of Jesus Christ with them. Live your lives guided by the wisdom that is in Christ and in the word. Pray for wisdom. Read the word seeking wisdom. Depend upon the spirit within you to live in and with wisdom and determine wisely to take advantage of the short time you have on this earth and the opportunities that you have to represent Jesus Christ. That's how we relate to the world. So let me, let me practically put this for a second. When you wake up in the morning, I think it's probably a wise thing for you when you head out to work amongst people who don't know Jesus like you know him or when you walk your neighborhood and when you do your things around life, when you go to the grocery store, go to your kid's ball game, when you interact with people who don't know Jesus like you do, you pray for wisdom that you might 
conduct your life in a way that honors God and shines light back to his glory so that they might see the difference and then seek to understand it and you have an opportunity to share the gospel. You see that? Amen. I relate to the world around me by doing that. I, I walk wisely among them. Third thing, last thing. I relate to the world around me by number three, communicating to them courteously. Look at number six of our text, verse six. Let your speech always be, it's hard to read, isn't it? I mean, when I'm driving on rainbow, I don't like this verse. Now they may not hear me, but my speech is anything but gracious. Let your speech always be gracious. The idea here is to let your speech always be filled with grace. I believe that what Paul is saying is that our speech should be consistently courteous, gracious, and kind. I believe this to mean that what we say about Christ and about the Christian life should be made as appetizing as possible by the tone of our voice. Grace in our speech is likened to the seasoning of salt. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt makes everything better, doesn't it? Let's do another survey real quick. How, how many of you cook and get offended if somebody uses salt on your food? All right, good. Just a couple of you. So when I use salt on food that you may cook, you're okay. It just makes everything better, right? If you don't like it, throw a little salt on it. I don't like broccoli, so I douse it in salt. Like, in fact, it's more salt than broccoli, actually. It's just a bunch of salt. So the idea here, again, is, is to let your speech be so filled with grace that it is salt to the words that you're speaking. It makes the message palatable. Listen, the gospel is offensive enough. It tells people that they are sinners, that they are broken, that they can't save themselves, that they are uh, condemned and under judgment and will spend eternity separated from God. That is an offensive message to people and that he is the only way, the only truth and the only life. And when we share that message, when we share that message that Jesus is the only way, may we not make it more offensive by making it condescending or from a place of pride. May it be seasoned with grace. Gracious speech is kind and humble. It isn't condescending or condemning. It's always accompanying humility. When you begin to think of yourself higher than you ought to think, you then will become arrogant and condescending in your tone. Gracious speech is an awareness that we are all sinners who would be on the way to hell were it not for grace. So regularly return to the cross. Church, let's go back to the cross and let's remember the lavish grace that God poured out upon us when he saved us. This will keep our speech full of grace because there's no place for arrogance or condemnation or condescension when we ourselves are aware of the reality that we are just a beggar telling another beggar where to get free bread. That's what he says. The gospel is a serious message that must be seasoned with the salt of our speech, kindness and graciousness, and that will open up more doors of opportunity. Look at what he says at the end of verse six, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When our speech is filled with grace because of our humble awareness of the grace extended to us as a sinner, we will be ready to give a gracious answer to the unsaved world in which we live when they ask us about the faith that we have. We'll be able to take advantage of the opportunity to share the gospel. We will be presented with opportunities to share the message of Jesus Christ.
This is what everybody loved years ago, lifestyle evangelism, right? This is a lifestyle of evangelism that's not an end. It's a lifestyle that presents an opportunity to, with your mouth, share the message of Jesus Christ with the people around you. If your speech and your conduct is consistently Christ-like, the non-Christians in your life will eventually begin to take notice. Last week, Nate shared something with you about his driving, so I guess it's my turn. A few years back, I was living in southwest Colorado, and I got pulled over. And, and you know the feeling when you get pulled over, don't you? It's one of, what did I do? I wasn't guilty. And you get frustrated, and you pop an attitude, and all of that good stuff. And listen, I, I was pulled over by a highway patrolman for speeding, and I decided even though I was aggravated, I was guilty. And so I was going to be kind and gracious to the officer as he was walking up to my car. Now, you know the battle. The battle is real, isn't it? Like, I'm mad. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad that he got me. Why didn't he get that white car that just sped by me? That's the one he should have got, right? Don't you got some criminal to go arrest? That's our attitude sometimes. And my attitude, though, was, was one of, I truly appreciate the service that our patrolmen give and the officers give. And I just wanted him to know I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy. So I thanked him. Thank you for the ticket that I just received. I don't think he gave me. I can't remember, but... And I wished him well. I said, man, God bless you. I hope you have a safe rest of your day. And, and that was an act of grace. Because that's not what I wanted, wanted to have, the attitude. <laughs> you know, months later, I was at service. It was a Christmas service. A guy walks up to me, and he introduces himself. And I introduce myself, and he says, I know who you are. <laughs> I said, really? And he said, yeah, um, a few months back, I pulled you over. And he said, when I pulled you over, I recognized you as one of the pastors of the churches here in town. And he said, you know, I'm here because of how you responded to me. Listen, that is not a common occurrence in my life. So I'm not the hero in this story, but I'm just saying that I learned a lesson that day that my speech affects the opportunities I have to represent my Jesus in the world around me. Those who have a relationship with Christ relate to the world differently. So what do we do? We pray persistently for them. We walk wisely among them and we speak graciously to them because there's something different about us. We know Jesus. The goal of Paul here is to remind us that we are strangers in a foreign land. Don't forget that church. This world in which we currently abide is not our home country. We are living as foreigners among strangers. As we live among strangers in this world, we are representing the king of another world, our home country, our king, Jesus, the great I am. When we are reminded that this world is not our home, that because of Christ, we are citizens of heaven, we will and must relate to the people of this world differently. We know Christ, therefore we do what? We make him known. It's the foundation of how we relate to the world around us. So we pray for the message of the gospel to be clear and unhindered. We live wisely as Christ-like, godly people taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented to us. And we talk with grace. We talk with grace, oozing from every word and humility and kindness so that we can be given opportunities to represent him well with the message of the gospel. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, let me give you three learning to live questions, can I? Let's apply this. 
around here as we end the service, we try to, I try to give you something to help you take what we learn and plug it into our life. Now, we did a lot of that this morning, but let's drive it home for further questions. And on your way home today, or in a small group this week, let's ask maybe one or two of these and interact with them. First question is this. Be honest, please, and this is for you. Am I in the world, but not of the world? To be in the world means that this is where we currently live because we're alive. To be of the world means that these are my people and I am no different than the world. To be of the world is to not be of Christ. There's a difference. And if you have never placed your faith in Christ for salvation from your sin, then you are still of the world. The world will face the eternal condemnation of God for sin and to be one with the world is to be an enemy of God. And I'm pleading with you as much grace and as much ache in my heart as I can. If you do not know Christ as your savior, run to him today. Join him by faith, trust him. He's the only hope for your soul. He's the only hope for your eternity. He can save you, he can change you, he can make your life anew and he can give you the hope of heaven that goes beyond any hope this world can ever offer. Run to him. If you're of the world, Make a decision to come and know Christ and he'll change who you're of. Second question. What is the status of my Christian community engagement? Now you may say, why ask this question? And here's why I'm asking this. Because while living in the world that lives and thinks contrary to the King Jesus we must find the encouragement and fellowship with other citizens of heaven. We must find our people to encourage us to continue to represent our king in the world that is not of our king. So what's the status of your community engagement? Do you live in a community of faith that encourages you and inspires you and holds you tight and accountable to live as a representative of our king in a world that is not our hometown? That is what a community does. That's what the church community does. The church is the community by God's plan that he's given you to relate in. So what is the status of your community engagement? Are you plugged into a small group church? Are you living in Bible study? Are you coming and engaging? Are you knowing and being known? That's what we want. We don't want to know and be known so that we can know all your dirty secrets. We want you to know and be known so that we can encourage you and you can encourage us and you can encourage them and they can encourage you to live the life that King Jesus has called you to live. And that depends a lot on your community engagement. Number three, let's be honest here. Who in my world needs me to relate with them differently? You have a circle of people in your life. They're on the outside of Christ and they are without hope. Don't forget that. They are people in your family, in your neighborhood, at your job, at your kid's ball field, <laughs> that God has placed in your life to represent him too. Identify those pe- who those people are and pray persistently for them, walk wisely among them and speak graciously to them and shine brightly as a representative of Jesus Christ. Because those who have a relationship with Christ relate to the world differently. You see it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for changing us. 
Thank you for being gracious to give us new life, new hope, a new position. Thank you for saving us. And God, it's so hard sometimes to be a follower of Christ in a world that is opposite of Christ. And so help us. Help us as your church, as your people, as your representatives, as citizens of your country, the better country, heaven, where we long to be, but we're not yet. We're here. Help us to represent you well. Help us to relate to the world around us differently. Not not condemning or condescending or arrogant or proud or impatient, but kind and gracious and humble and concerned and prayerful. And Lord, that's our heart. So where conviction needs to happen, do it. Where, um, where encouragement needs to happen, do it. And Father, if there's somebody in, in this room today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, they would be on the outside, as Paul says. Help them to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior today. Open their eyes to see that he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. And that there is no way to you, the Father, but through him. And may they place their faith for the very first time in him as Savior. Bless our time now as we are reminded of heaven, where our home is, where our citizenship is. As we sing, may you be glorified in this time as we prepare to go. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.